Good morning. Glad you're here today. Hope you've had a great weekend so far. Glad we can start a new week together with God's people, worshiping God together. Uh, we have a lot of visitors with us this morning. Thank you for being here. Uh, we're really glad you came to be part of our worship services today. We hope we get to meet you before you leave. Uh, so if you see unfamiliar faces, members or visitors, um, let's make sure we meet each other before we go. Sometimes uh, those of us that have been here a while, sometimes it's tough to keep up with who's new and who's visiting and all that. But if you see somebody you haven't got to know well yet, uh, make sure you say hi. We're all, the fact that we're all worshiping here together this morning shows we're all trying to draw closer to God, all on the same team. So we're glad you're here today. Uh, we always like our visitors to know who we're trying to be at Great Oaks. Uh, we put Church of Christ on the sign because we're trying to be followers of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ only. Uh, so if you have questions about that, uh, as us trying to be undenominational Christians, we'd love for you to join us in that. If you have questions about us or about Christianity, let us know. Uh, but we're glad you're here today. Let me make an introduction before we get going on our lesson today. Would the Hinton family please stand? Where are you at this morning? There you are. Ron and Diane Hinton and their granddaughter Kaylee. They've been worshiping with us for several months, and a few weeks back they let the elders know they'd like to be part of the Great Oaks Church family. If you guys want to have a seat, I'll share a little bit more about you. So Ron and Diane have been married for 55 years. They've been in the Memphis area for almost all of that, maybe all of that. And so uh, when they first came, it was obvious to me that they already knew a lot of people here at Great Oaks from their time at different congregations through the years and meeting people in the church through the years. Um, so you might already know them, but if you haven't, meet them. Ron has worked at Ellendale Electric for 30 years. He currently works with them as an estimator. His hobbies include gardening, painting, and playing guitar. Diane is a homemaker. Her hobbies include decorating, something she enjoys. Kaylee, their granddaughter, is going into the 8th grade at Bon Lynn Middle School. And her hobbies include reading, board games, music, and exercise. If you have not met Ron, Diane, and Kaylee yet, I think you'll enjoy meeting them Really glad you guys are here at Great Oaks. Um, meet them if you haven't. Our theme this year, if you have not been uh, with us um, for the whole year, our theme this year is to see on the screen, Let Us Arise and Build. That theme comes from Ezra and Nehemiah. Is where we started out the year, going through the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. And Nehemiah said that to a group of people in the Promised Land. And they had, they had not built the wall that they should have built around Jerusalem. And so it was a, it was a recommitment statement. It was, we've been laying around too long not doing what we're supposed to be doing. Let us arise and let's get moving again. And so we've wanted this theme to be a, a recommitment theme. And if you've let your faith in the last, the craziness of the last few years, if you've let it become a lower place than you know it needs to be, we hope this theme is an encouragement for us all to get moving again, to get our faith back to where we know God wants it to be. And so we did that at the beginning of the year. We've now started the second half of the year as we move into July. And what we'll do in the second half of the year, we'll have a few branch-off series from that theme. And we're going to start one of those this morning in the month of July that I hope will be encouraging to our faith and our Christian life. Let's pray, and then I'll explain where we're going to go this morning. God, thank you so much for who you are. You are amazing. You are wonderful. You are our shield, our God, our King. And Lord, we're so thankful that we are your children. Lord, I pray your best blessings on every one of us as we try to follow you. Uh, pave the path for us. Open the way for us. Help us, God, to have uh, your best blessings, especially the spiritual ones. God, we're thankful this morning for the Hinton family. We're thankful for Ron and Diane and Kaylee that you brought them 
to our church family here. I pray, Lord, we can be a blessing to them and that we can all serve you together for many years. God, we're thankful this week for the country that you've allowed us to live in. We know we're not perfect, but we're thankful for the ways this country has helped the world and has tried to increase freedom. God, we pray we'll use that freedom for following you. Help us to to do the right things and support the right things. God, we pray your guidance on this nation. God, as we open your word together this morning, I pray that what is said will be what you want to be said and that our faith will grow from it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. On our Sunday mornings in July, at least the ones I'll be up here, we're going to be talking about this theme, building our new self in Christ. If you have been around churches much in your life, you might recognize the imagery there. The New Testament talks about an old self and a new self and how Jesus changes all that. Our old self is the pre-Christian self. It's selfish, it's sinful, it's chasing a lot of things we shouldn't be chasing. Our new self begins when we become Christians, baptized into Jesus Christ. And then the rest of our life is this process of transformation, trying to be more like Jesus. And if you're keeping the outline with us, our main passage for this series comes from Colossians chapter 3, verses 8 through 14. This is one of uh, the, there's two or three really central old self, new self passages in the New Testament. And this is one of them. So what we're going to do this morning, I'm going to explain how that passage fits in the book of Colossians. And we're going to take the first one of those things it talks about, old self, new self. And we're going to start working on it uh, in our faith this morning. So Colossians 2 verse 12. So I'm backing up before we get there. You may want to open to Colossians 3, but I have the verses on the screen. If you want to read them along with us on the screen. Uh, the, The imagery starts in chapter 2 verse 12. And he's talking about baptism. He says, we have been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Now that's a great verse that tells us a lot of things. Uh, Baptism is one of the things it tells us about. You notice a few things about baptism in this passage. You notice we are buried in baptism. Now, baptism in the New Testament was not a sprinkling, it was not a pouring. It was a burial. It was all the way in the water and all the way back up. We're buried with Him. That's when we come into contact with Jesus in baptism. You notice that baptism and faith go together in this passage. It's not one without the other. Um, in, the, in the Bible, they didn't baptize babies or infants. They baptized people who had their own faith because that's what saves in baptism. We're, let me just read it again. We're buried with Him in baptism in which you were raised up with Him through faith. Notice who's working in baptism, in the working of God. Baptism is not a work by which we're saving ourselves. Baptism is a work of God. God is doing something in baptism. And it's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead that raises us up in baptism. So in the book of Colossians, this is where the imagery starts of raising up to a new life. When you and I are baptized into Christ on our own faith, buried with Him in the waters of baptism, we raise up and we're instantly in Jesus. But we don't look like Jesus completely because we have all sorts of bad habits and sinful things we got to get out the rest of our lives. So it begins this lifelong process of change, old self to new self. You're raised up. That same imagery comes up again in chapter 3, verse 1. He says, therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, he's referring back to what we just read in chapter 2, verse 12. 
If you've been raised up, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. Those are, uh, some people, those are their favorite verse in the whole Bible. Some people have memorized those, underlined those, uh, highlighted those. That's one of those passages that's worth doing that. We've been raised up with God. Let's, let's seek those things that are above. Verse 3, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So Paul has begun this idea. We're raised up in baptism and now we're trying to seek bigger things. Let me then jump forward to our passage we're going to focus on in July. Because what he does in this section, and I won't read all of 8 through 14 this morning, but I'll read 8 through 10. He starts saying, take off the old self stuff and put on the new self stuff. There's sinful old world ways of living, old self ways of living. Get rid of those things and put on things that look more like Jesus Christ, the way he wants us to live. And so we're just going to walk through these. So let me read these passages and then we'll talk about one for the rest of our time this morning. But now you also put them all aside. So there's things to put aside, old self stuff. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices, and have put on the new self, who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. Let's notice real quick in verse 10 what he says about that new self. He says, we are being renewed. It's a present tense. It's still happening. We're still being changed. You're saved instantly in Jesus Christ, but then you're still being changed to live more like him. According to the image of the one who created him. So we're we're changing into the image of Jesus Christ. That's our goal. Trying to be more and more like him. I hope, if you're a Christian here this morning, I hope you can look back at at the years, however long you've been in Jesus, and I hope you can see some progress I hope you can see that you're a little bit more like Jesus than you used to be. Now, for most of us, that's not just a straight-up thing, and, and it's, a, it's sort of an up and down and up and down, but hopefully you're generally looking more like Jesus Christ. Uh, the chances are, for all of us, I, I see this in myself, every time I read through one of these old self, new self passages, I find there's something I need to do a little better than I've been doing. And so hopefully in this series in July, we'll stumble on something that we can recommit ourselves to, to try to look more like Jesus Christ. So the one we're going to focus on with the rest of our time this morning, he says, put these aside. We're going to start with anger and wrath. And as you can see, as I've titled the lesson this morning, anger and self-control. i got two things I want us to do with the rest of our time. We're going to notice the challenge. We're talking about how we can look more like Jesus in meeting the challenge. Let's start with the challenge. I imagine we'd all agree with this. Many of our worst moments come in times of anger. I'm not sure exactly why that is. I'm not sure exactly why that is. Um, But there seems to be some subconscious thing when we get upset that we think, I can just act however I want to act because I'm upset. I can just say whatever I want to say. I can just be be as as crazy as I want to be because I'm upset. That's not true. But we tell ourselves that. Our emotions are going. Uh, Chances are you can look back at different times of your life and say those times of anger, boy, I said something I really wish I could take back. Boy, I looked really ridiculous. If, so, if I could have stepped outside myself and seen myself so angry, I looked really ridiculous in the way I handled that. Many of our worst moments 
are going to come in times of anger. And the Bible tries to warn us about that. Let's, let's put up a few verses and for your outline a few verses that remind us of that danger. Write down Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. This is in the middle of another one of those old self, new self sections of Scripture. And he says, Be angry and yet do not sin. Uh, your translation may say something like, in your anger, do not sin. He's not commanding us to be angry, but he's saying when you're angry, don't sin. There's a temptation there when you're angry to not sin. Being angry by itself is not a sin. Jesus was angry. In Mark chapter 3, for example, he sees the hard hearts of the Pharisees and about verse 5 or 6 says he looked around at them in anger. So, sometimes even Jesus felt angry and, and quite honestly, if you if you believe in God, there's some things in the world that probably should make you angry when you see sin and evil and injustice and all those sorts of things. Probably why God gave us that emotion. But he says, when you're angry, don't sin. Be careful. There's a temptation there. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And I think that's a figure of speech. I, I don't think he is saying, if you're angry at 7.55 tonight and the sun is about to tip down behind the, the horizon. You better fix that real quick or, or you're sinning. I think, he, I think it's a figure of speech that means don't let anger stay as part of your life. Because if it stays there, that's going to cause problems. Uh, I've, I've heard the phrase before, anger over time equals bitterness. And I think that's true. You let anger hang around too long, it gets you to a much worse spiritual place. And, and God can help you there too. But it's a much more difficult spiritual place. He says, don't let the sun go down your anger. Don't, don't keep anger. And then notice verse 27. Don't give the devil an opportunity. When the devil sees you angry, he sees an opportunity. He sees this is a chance to get them to do something, say something, act in some way that's going to make God look bad, make them look bad, hurt their influence, hurt their relationships. Satan sees opportunity when we're angry. There's a danger here, isn't there? What about Proverbs 14, 17? The Proverbs say a lot about anger and self-control. We'll have a couple of those verses up here this morning. A quick-tempered a quick man acts foolishly, and a man of evil desires, evil devices sorry, is hated. A quick-tempered man acts foolishly. If, if you are someone who just lets your temper go, you act quickly on that temper, you're going to act foolishly. We've all done it. We don't want it to be a habit. We don't want it to be who we are. Don't be a quick-tempered person. And then one more, James 1, 19 and 20. One more on the danger. James 1, 19 says, This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Notice the danger in verse 20. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. It's true, isn't it? When we act on our own selfish anger, get wanting what we want, and not, not a godly anger, not, not frustration and injustice or wanting to make the world a better place, but on our own human sinful anger, that does not achieve the righteousness of God. So there's a danger. The Bible's trying to tell us, if you want to be more like Jesus, you need to, you need to watch these moments because they're going to happen. Someone's going to be unkind to you. You're going to be treated unfairly. Someone's going to say something really ugly to you at some point, and, and those crossroads moments, you've got decisions to make. Am I going to let it pull me away from Jesus, or am I going to act the way God wants me to? So then, how can we build a more Christ-like response? Instead of just letting our temper go, instead of just saying things Christians shouldn't say, instead of acting in ways we shouldn't act, 
How can we do better? Well, the Christian response to those moments, those crossroad moments, is what the Bible calls self-control. And that's an interesting term, isn't it? You would think you would always have control of yourself. I mean, it, it is your choice. No one can make you do anything. God has, has given you choice over yourself. And yet sometimes we struggle to control ourselves. We let emotions get going and we just say what we want to say. So self-control and, and self-control is a fruit of the Spirit with a capital S. That's good news because here's the good news on that. God helps you build that in your life. Because we're all tempted to say at some point, I just don't know if I can control my... Man, I just get so upset. I get, I get so frustrated. In fact, I think one of the best steps any of us can take if, if anger and self-control is a struggle for us, one of the biggest steps is just to acknowledge this is something I want to do better, and God, please help me do it better. It is, it's a fruit of the Spirit, self-control. God can help us build this into our life where anger doesn't affect us the way it used to. I've tried to point out two different ways here on your outline that we can have that more Christ-like response. And so the first way is in those moments. Okay, in the very moment, how can I put off anger? I've got to learn to slow down my initial reaction. And you notice what I put in parentheses, with God's help. When, when the moment happens, to be able to not say what I'm tempted to say to be able to not do what I'm tempted to do, to just slow myself down with the help of God and not react quickly. The Bible says some things about that. We saw just a second ago in James 1.19, I've underlined uh, a different part to focus on. He says we need to be slow to speak and slow to anger. When he says slow to speak, he doesn't mean speak real slowly. That's not what he's talking about. And he doesn't mean that, that you don't, talk like in life. What he means is, when those moments come, don't just, don't just speak. Slow down. Slow down and think. Slow down and let God filter through those things. Slow to anger. I think there's a connection there. Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Don't say the first thing that comes into your head a lot of times. Sometimes you hear people say, you know what, I'm just, I'm just being real. I'm just saying what's in my mind. Well, that may not be the best way to act as a Christian. Just saying what's on your mind is not the best way to act as a Christian. You filter those thoughts. You think through those thoughts in Christ and you say, what should I say, if anything? So there's got to be those moments where you slow yourself down. Proverbs 16, 32. Uh, this is a verse worth remembering. Because he says, He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty. He who rules his spirit than he who captures a city. One of the reasons we, we lash out in times of anger is we're worried that, that we're going to lose in some way or someone's, someone's going to beat us in some way. And so we're not going to let them win. And so we're just going to say what we got to say to try to win. He says, no, no, that's, that's not strength. That's weakness when you react in those moments like that. Spiritual strength, Christ-like strength with the help of God is to be able to just slow down, and not react in those moments. If you can be slow to anger, you're, you're better than the mighty. You're better than the, the warriors capturing a city. If you can control your own spirit with the help of God. In those moments, slow yourself down. And so then the second way I've tried to divide this up. So there's those, there's those moments. God, I need your help to have self-control. To not just act, but to have the strength that waits and thinks and filters before responding inappropriately. What about those longer-term anger issues? 
told you anger over time equals bitterness. Because here he says, put, you know, put aside anger and wrath. I don't want to be an, I don't want to be an angry person. There's a lot of angry people in our world today. It's a, that's a sad characteristic of our culture that people notice, that there seems to be more anger for whatever reason in our culture. I don't want that to be me. I don't want to be part of that. And if, if that's in our culture, anything that's a problem in our culture is going to be a temptation for God's people. So I don't want that to be me. How can I avoid being an angry person? How can I put it off? And so I've got you a list here that I hope is helpful. It's helpful to me. Uh, number one, and I'm taking verses from all over the Bible on this. Number one, reflect on why I'm angry. This is a question God asks several people in Scripture. When Cain is mad at Abel, God tries to slow him down, knowing what's about to happen. God tries to slow him down by saying, Cain, why, why are you angry? Now, God knew why he was angry. God could answer the question. He's trying to get Cain to think, why am I angry? Should I be angry? Maybe this is selfishness. Maybe this is not something I should be mad about. Maybe there are bigger things in the world. He asked Jonah later in the Bible, Jonah, why are you angry? Remember Jonah, he goes to Nineveh and God says, okay, we're going to save Nineveh when they repent. Jonah gets mad about it. Then there's the plant that comes up. If you haven't read the book of Jonah, read the book of Jonah this afternoon. I think you'll enjoy it. Four short chapters. But God says, Jonah, why are you angry? Should you be angry? Now Jonah's so mad, he says, yes, I should be angry. That's not the right reaction either. But God's trying to get him to slow down and say, why are you angry? That's worth asking. Why am I so upset? Um, we were flipping through movies a while back and uh, the movie Sea Biscuit was on. I don't know if you watched the movie Sea Biscuit. I, I sort of like the movie Sea Biscuit. Uh, I don't know if that says anything about me or not. But there's this one point in the movie, and uh, and and there, there's this there's the the guy who's riding the horse, and, and he's just so mad in life, and he's just everything's a everything's a battle, and the, and the the guy looks at him, he says, "Son, why are you so angry?" And the scene just stopped. You know, right. I'd never really noticed that scene before. Just it's just a good question. Why are you so angry? Sometimes I need to ask myself that. Should I be angry here? Number two, hand it to God in prayer. There's a lot of stuff you can't do anything about. <laughs> I hope you've accepted that by now. I'm trying to accept it too. There, there's a lot of stuff we can't do anything about. Stuff you care about. Stuff that's important. Hand those things to God. God wants them. God wants us to talk to Him about this stuff. He's the, he's the hand that moves the world. He's the one who's really in, in control. 1 Peter 5 uh, I'll read verse 7 here. We'll come back to verse 6 in just a sec. Verse 7 says, Cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. Sometimes we lash out in anger because we're, we're anxious about something. And anger becomes part of our life because we're anxious about something. We want something to be different, something to be better, uh, some, something to happen, or worried something's going to happen that we don't want to happen. He says, give that to God. Give it to Him. He, he cares for you. He wants to take those things away from you. I love that the Bible shows us places like the Psalms, even Job, who didn't always do it as reverently as he should have, but even Job, people are talking to God about their frustrations. Talk to God about your frustrations. God wants them. That's what I say in Scripture. He wants them. That will, that will help you filter through those thoughts. It will help you hand it to someone who can actually do something. Give those things to the Lord. Number three, trust God's promises about entrusting things to him. I'll explain that little word entrusting here in just a second from 1 Peter. But trust, and here's what I'm saying here, when we entrust the Lord to handle things, trust that he will. That comes from 1 Peter. Here in 1 Peter chapter 2, he's talking about the suffering of Jesus. Peter is writing to Christians who were suffering. 
We've already mentioned in a couple of our prayers this morning how blessed we feel in this country to be able to have a country where you can worship, and we're not, we're not worried that, that the government's going to come in and, and, and tell us we've got to stop doing that. At least we're not right now. hope it never gets to that. But we're not worried about that. And, but they, that wasn't their world. They, they had people all the time. Christians were worried and being killed. And, and so Peter's writing them to encourage them to keep going in a world where you could be killed for being a Christian, in a culture where you could be killed for being a Christian. And he says, look at Jesus, verse 21. You have been called for this purpose. Since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. So Jesus gives an example, not just in everything in life, which he does, but here specifically, Peter is saying, he gives you an example of how to suffer when people are mistreating you. He says, he committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. It was totally unfair for Jesus to be treated the way he was. It was totally unfair. It was totally uncalled for. You and I would have lashed back out and said, this is not fair. We would try to get revenge. Jesus does not do that. What did he do? Verse 23, while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats. You just, you just wait. Didn't do any of that. But kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. As Jesus was in going through the cross... Which, my goodness, if you try to put yourself in that situation, all the emotions that would have, it'd be really difficult not to be furiously angry if you were Jesus going through the cross. I'm trying to help you, and you're mocking me, and hitting me, and spitting on me, and, and laughing at me, and, and hurting me physically. Um, it'd be really difficult not to be furiously angry. It says Jesus didn't lash back at all. He entrusted himself to God. God, you've got it. Father, you've got it. Uh, I, I trust that if anything needs to be done, you'll take care of it. Can we have that same faith? I hope so. Can we have the faith that says, I don't need to lash back out because God will take care of things. I don't need to try to hurt the person who hurt me because God will take care of things. That's what the Bible challenged us to do. Back in 1 Peter chapter 5, just a few chapters later, he says in verse 6, Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time. God, I'm not happy about this situation, the way this person's acting, the way they're talking to me. But God, I'm humbling myself before you. And I'll trust you to do what needs to be done, if anything. That's not, I'm not telling you it's easy. But with the help of God, that's the Christian following Jesus response. I'm going to entrust it to the Lord and he will take care of it. It's not my job to lash out in anger and get revenge. He'll take care of it. Number four, if you're not going to, if you don't want to be an angry person, if you don't want anger just to stay in your life and stay in your heart, we've got to find a way to turn our mind to better things. To think about the blessings, to think about the good things God has given us. Philippians 4 verse 8 is one of the places that reminds us to do that. He says, finally, brethren, whatever is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, of good repute or good reputation, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Don't let your mind be continually filled with things that make you angry. Don't sit around and just fume over whatever is frustrating you in the world or people or whatever else. Find a way very intentionally with the help of God to, to read your Bible. Put, put, some, put some thoughts from Scripture in your mind. Turn your mind to better things. Have a, a prayer of thankfulness. It, it may be helpful to force yourself to just sit down and pray a prayer of thankfulness to turn your mind to better things. Sometimes people just drift into anger 
and it's who they are. Don't, don't let yourself do that. You don't want to look up in five years and say, I'm just an angry person. You're a Christian. You're trying to follow the Lord. You, you want to look like Jesus. You don't want to look like the angry people in the world. Get a, get a hold of that. It's a, it's a danger in our culture. It's going to be a danger to us. Get a hold of that and turn your mind to better things. So I think there's two real parts to, to going from uh, anger from anger to self-control. It's those in-the-moment things we need to focus on. God, can you help me slow down? Can you help me be stronger than the mighty to have the strength not to lash back out? And then second, God, can you help me get out of my life in the longer-term sense? As I've said several times, we are an angry culture. You see it on social media. You see it in the way people drive. You see it in the way people talk about each other. You see it in the way the news media talks about things. Um, This is going to be a challenge. It's something we're going to have to think about. It's part of taking off the old self and putting on the new self, uh, becoming more like Jesus and making it more part of our life. And people need to see this in us. It's going to, it's going to stand out when a Christian has the self-control to not be angry just like everybody else is. So let's show people. In an angry world, let's live out the peace and the goodness of living in Jesus Christ. It's probably not going to happen immediately. It's going to be a process. It's going to take the help of God. It's going to take prayer. But self-control is who we are. Let's keep moving in that direction and looking more like Jesus in that area this week. This morning, if you're not a Christian, uh, let us know if we can help you in any way. This morning, if you're not right with God, if you have struggles, let us know if we can help you in any way. We're always happy to talk if you'd like to talk afterwards. We're about to sing a song of invitation. And what we mean by a song of invitation is this is an opportunity for anybody who would like to come before the entire church family gathered together to ask for prayers or to take a step of faith. Maybe you're ready today. Maybe, maybe you've been pierced to the heart in your life by the gospel. You see what Jesus has done. You see what you need to do. And as Acts 2.38 says, repent and be baptized. Turn your life around. Let, let your sins be forgiven in the waters of baptism. We'd love to see you take that most important step of your life. Or maybe we can pray for you about anything. If you'd like to respond publicly, you can do that now while we stand, while we sing. Just to feel